that if you look what has happened into the Jewish population, which obviously you're so concerned about saving um, in Eretz Yisrael, the fact of the matter is that the Jewish population is younger than the Arab population, and the Jewish birth rate keeps going up, and the Arab birth rate goes down. That simply happens because once you educate Arab women, what we have found out is, in whatever, the birth rate plummets. Now, so I'm not so convinced on the demographic uh, arguments. By the way, that the fact that you mentioned that the Jewish population is younger than the Arab population is factually incorrect. No, it's factually correct. And there's, there's all sorts of studies which, you know. 51% of the kindergarten children in Jerusalem are Arabs. Yeah, but within the state of Israel, and if you look what is happening both to the Israeli Arabs and among the, um, the people on the West Bank, you see that the birth rate is plummeting, and even among the religious, and the reason is that the women are saying, I'm educated, why do I need to have some, you know, a person boss me around and tell me what to do? But there's a greater argument, which I think is really important here, and that is if you look at this in the Islamic context of this land belongs, from a Muslim point of view, to Dar Islam, the world of Islam. And once it belongs to the world of Islam, there is no such thing, and you know Arabic, there's no such word for compromise as we understand it here in the West. Hudnat that you're talking about is a temporary solution until we, the Muslims, can regroup and continue the fight further. That's the way they see it. Now, let's forget Israel for a moment, forget uh, the West Bank. If you look at um, what is being written, you can find this on the internet easily in Arabic, about Spain right now, a land that they lost uh, 500 years plus ago. They're still talking now about the reconquest of Spain. There is a center in Cordoba, which is supposedly an Islamic cultural center. But when they talk with fellow Muslims, they say very simply, we are here to start the reconquest. The argument, therefore, is you cannot have any type of peace. I guess the bottom line is, what is wrong with maintaining for Israel? the present status. Why do you have to have any type of political activity? Let them develop economically within the West Bank. They're doing that very well. Whatever it's seven or 11, you can't believe any of the percentages, whether it's good or bad, high or low, we have no way of knowing. Why not just let them develop economically? Israel does its thing, they do their thing within the West Bank, and leave it as it is, and without trying to push it, whether it's Obama or Santa Claus, it doesn't matter. I, I really, I, I, well, it's not Obama or Santa Claus that really concern me. I, I'm, and I, I don't suggest that we do what I'm thinking of because of Obama or Santa Claus or anyone in between. Uh, the issue is this. Uh, what you say about uh, Arab women and the declining of uh, the birth rates is uh, not that applicable either to Gaza or to the West Bank. It is very applicable in Israel. And it is, in fact, happening in Israel. Uh, and this is exactly, uh, ex except amongst the Bedouin population in the Negev, who have a phenomenal uh, growth rate of, uh, they, their population multiplies every 12 years. Uh, and it's uh, now something like 200,000, so it'll be half a million in 12 years' time. It's uh, very fast. But even assuming, that you're right about these demographic predictions, which, by the way, what you said about the Arabs in Israel is correct, the West Bank and Gaza is not. No one will convince me that Israel is better off with 40 to 50% Arabs under its control than 15%. You will just not convince me. 
And I will much prefer an Israel. Little Israel, which will have 15% Arabs, than larger Israel, which will have 50% or 60%. Ben Gurion in 1947 made a speech in, in December where he said, if you remember, in, in Israel of the partition of 1947, 40% 40, 40 of, of little Israel of the partition were Arabs. And Ben Gurion said then, a 60-40 ratio will not be a Jewish state. We must have massive Jewish immigration. Now, even if we maintain, as some demographers on the right say, we are 60-40 now, and we can maintain the 60-40 ratio for a long time. How much longer do you think? We must tell the rest of the world that the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza have no political rights. Must we continue with this? 42 years we've already done. Another 42? When you say they can just stay there and we can just stay there, we do our thing and we do their thing, they are completely disenfranchised. They have their own, they're voting within their own, they control their own internal. But they do not. We control them. That is not correct. And the IDF operates in the cities of the West Bank every night. We even say openly the Palestinians control the daytime, we control the nighttime. Uh, they are not completely uh, running their own affairs. That is just not so. It's not even so entirely uh, in Gaza where we have the whole place uh, blockaded. Uh, the Palestinians are entitled, entitled to the same political rights that we have. We say in our, in Hatikva, Anachno Liot that's what it's about, to be a, a free people in our country. We will not be a free people in our country until they are also a free people in theirs. We cannot continue this situation in which they are fundamentally unequal. Where the settlers in the West Bank do their thing, and the people in the West Bank, the Arab people in the West Bank, cannot do their thing. Because we have to protect the settlers, and therefore the Palestinians can't travel here, and can't travel there, and can't do this, and can't do that. This is a situation which, uh, irrespective of the demographics, where here I think you are simply wrong in, in reference to what is happening in the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, where already, never mind what happens in the future, if you take the Israeli population, the Jewish-Israeli population, between the Mediterranean and the river, and you take the Arab population between the Mediterranean and the river, you're already almost equal. There are a million Palestinians in Israel, there are a million and a half Palestinians in Gaza, and there are about two to two and a half million uh, in the West Bank. That is five million. There are just over five million Jews. Including in this just over five million Jews are also a lot of Russians who are not Jews at all, but we count them as ours uh, for free. But, uh, so we're already approaching a situation which is very close to equilibrium. Uh, and the, the Arab population is not declining. And uh, we count in this number uh, also Israelis who for long don't live in Israel, who are living in California. So what you are saying is simply untenable for the longer run. Really? Yes, really, because you cannot maintain the Palestinians in the West Bank as a disenfranchised population for the rest of time. You must create a situation where the Palestinians have something like a state of their own. 
That, requi that requires of us, that requires of us also to relocate uh, quite a lot of the settlements that are all over the West Bank that create a situation of difficulty, let's say, of movement and also of political equality uh, between us and the Palestinians in the West Bank. Therefore, this situation is politically untenable. It also creates the whole foundation for the one-state reality and the one-state argument. And if we continue this, if you haven't noticed, Israel's international legitimacy is eroding. This is serious business. You may not worry about it. I do. No, but Jewish international legitimacy is eroding. That's the problem. Uh, maybe. There are some things that we can fix, and there are some things that we cannot fix. I do not see the development of the one-state idea and the traction that the one-state idea is obtaining. I do not see this as a positive development. I see it as a very negative development. It is giving ammunition to those who want to undo the state of the Jews, and I see no reason why we should do it to them. Uh, and maintaining the situation that you suggested, we manage, just letting things remain as they are, uh, is prolonging a situation where the Palestinians cannot possibly enjoy a form of equal political rights to those of the Israelis. That is not a healthy situation, not for Israelis, and Israelis are not crazy about preserving the situation. And it's not a healthy situation for Israel in the long run. And I do not suggest that we just let it be. It has been just letting it be for 42 years. It hasn't done Israel too much good as far as I've noticed. Professor Ray? Um, I am very impressed with your presentation. And uh, I have a question about the Fayyad Initiative. Uh, does it include joining with Hamas? Uh, is it is it possible to go ahead without that? And if joining with Hamas, does Hamas have to revise its charter talks for the destruction of Israel? Uh, well, you know, this comes back to an issue of principle. Now, should Hamas revise its charter uh, or not? Um, you know, you mentioned before, before you leave, uh, excuse me, before you leave, you mentioned Cordoba. I didn't mention even once, nor did I even suggest that this was the end of conflict and that this was peace in our time. In fact, I said it wasn't. I don't think they're going to give up Cordoba. They're not going to give up Haifa either. That does not mean that we should remain in Nablus forever. And they won't give up Europe. They won't give up anything. They will not give up. And when the world is I'm not. Asleep. That's what. That's I, I'm not in the business. I'm not in the business of making peace with Islam, and I'm not in the business of converting the Muslims into peaceful people. I'm in the business of preserving the state of Israel as the state of the Jews. Absolutely. Not in getting, uh, not in getting Muslim approval for it, and not that they will approve. They're not going to approve. Hamas is not going to rewrite its charter. And Hamas is not going to approve, and we can ask the Palestinians and Hamas to recognize the right of Israel, etc. They probably won't. And in Hebrew, there's a great uh, uh, phrase. It says, Lachtoma Lakerach. in Hebrew means to sign on the ice. It melts in five minutes. <laughs> I am sorry. We'll get there. declare. They will abolish the charter. It's, it's, it's meaningless. We will preserve the peace with the Palestinians in the West Bank. We will preserve the peace with Hamas. We will preserve the peace with Egypt or with Jordan or anybody else as long as we have the power to preserve it. I can assure you, the moment that we do not have the power to preserve the peace, Egypt will not keep the peace either. And the peace with Egypt lasts not because we have a piece of paper. 
It lasts because we have deterrence. And as long as Israel can deter its neighbors, they will be deterred. It is not a question of their goodwill. And it's not that I believe in the antithesis of Cordoba. I know who I'm dealing with. I know all about Dar al-Islam. And I'm not about converting these people. We have to make a distinction between peacemaking and preserving the state of Israel as the state of the Jews. We've got it all confused in our minds. We think, and it's very difficult, even though I say throughout my whole talk that this is not about making peace. People then ask me questions as if that is what I've said. But it isn't. I said the opposite throughout my whole talk. This is not about peacemaking. This is about preserving Israel as the state of the Jews. And we have locked in our minds since 1967 that you give territory for peace. What I'm saying, forget about that. We are not giving territory for peace. How do we maintain the state of the Jews when we have this demographic reality and we have this kind of neighborhood and you have Iran and Turkey and whatever? We have our limitations, we have our constraints, and we have to behave accordingly. Fayyad and Hamas, in theory, Fayyad does speak after the two years when they established this kind of semi-state in the West Bank that they will negotiate with Hamas about an eventual linkage of the two together. Uh, at the moment, that looks very far-fetched. And Hamas and Fatah uh, are not able to settle the differences between them. And I, I don't see that uh, happening anytime soon. I do think, however, in the, in the bigger picture, that in the long run, Gaza will have to go wherever the West Bank goes. That Gaza will not be able to uh, survive on its own. Uh, it would be great if eventually the West Bank would be in confederation with Jordan and Gaza would somehow be uh, embraced by Egypt. But the Egyptians don't have the slightest intention of doing that. And therefore, I think that Gaza would have to be linked up with the West Bank. But the political uh, coordination between Fatah and Hamas at the moment is we are nowhere near. Uh, but without that, I, they will not have a viable entity. Yeah. Just one question is if someone who's voted in every Israel election the last 30 years and never got in my way, <laughs> uh, I, I see the political problem as more of a very practical uh, how do you form a coalition? In theory, what you're saying is very good. But in a practical grounds, it seems that we can't form solid lasting coalitions. Uh, well, that uh, <coughs> may be so. Uh, if, if we are incapable of forming a coalition that will you know, go in this direction, uh, then I think that uh, that's a very sad statement about uh, the future of Israel and the Indigenous people. Because uh, I'm firmly convinced that the right uh, doesn't have the answer. Just as much as I am convinced that the left doesn't have it either. And that we have to think of something in the center which is neither here nor there, which is simply a pragmatic way of creating a reality on the ground that we can live with. There are a lot of people in Israel who think that way. A whole party was formed around this idea. That's Kadim. That's what Sharon did. That's why Sharon broke up the Likud. The problem is that that center uh, is not uh, uh, big enough. Uh, what could happen, uh, and it nearly did, uh, was if Netanyahu would have formed a different coalition. Uh, 
That is, instead of forming what is a basically right-wing coalition, Netanyahu would have taken the Likud into a coalition with Kadima and with Labour. Uh, that would have been a very different kind of coalition than the one we have at present, and would have been a coalition in which the majority uh, think along lines like I've been talking about, which is, let's say, very Kadima-like uh, thinking, or Barak, uh, who think of this idea of uh, creating a two-state reality uh, simply as a means of preserving the whole uh, project uh, without the ideal peace that's supposed to come, uh, come with it. Uh, but you would need a different coalition. I think an Israeli coalition of Likud, Kadima, and Labour could, could, could do this. But it, it, it would require uh, such a coalition to exist. And it would require of, of such a coalition to have the, the kind of goal uh, to do what has to be done, uh, which is something Sharon had, and I'm not sure that the present uh, actors um, do. But it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a big question. Many people say, you know, there is no way in which any future Israeli government will be able to move the settlements that have to be moved. That might be true. That might be true. It will be a great victory for the settlers. But the ultimate long-term defeat of the whole Zionist project. For that, for that, I am not a great supporter of the settler movement. And I think of their movement as one that does not serve, does not serve in the slightest, the long-term interests of the Zionist enterprise. So, Marika, and then Noah. Um, you mentioned that the 1948 issue is made Palestinians still open. Is it then possible to deter the Palestinians as it's possible to um, have deterrence with Egypt? Especially when you see that there are other players who are interested in, in uh, that it doesn't work, like the Iranians. Well, yeah, look, uh, life is all about alternatives. Uh, we also have to realize that we don't have the luxury of choosing between good and evil. <clears throat> we don't have Canadians and Mexicans for neighbors. It would be better if we did. But we have to deal with who we have to deal with. Uh, I think that uh, the Palestinians, not Fatah, no Hamas, nor anyone else, are really going to conceal the 1948 issue. <coughs> they will not conceal the refugees. And those who think that, uh, and who have said in, in many times that, oh, they just, they just speak about the right of return, but they just want Israel to recognize the right, they don't really mean any return. This is just invention, pure invention. And therefore, we will not have finality. That doesn't mean that they cannot be deterred. Like the present situation between Israel and Hezbollah. Hezbollah has not changed its ideology towards Israel at all. I can tell you the Egyptians haven't changed their ideology towards Israel either. Israel and Egypt and Israel and Jordan have no normalization, as we call it. This lack of normalization is a, a lack of ideological acceptance of Israel. They do not accept Israel ideologically. But for 30 years, we've had peace with Egypt based on deterrence. For me, that is quite sufficient, considering the alternative. Cold peace is better than cold war. And cold peace is better than real war. That's, and if these are the choices I have, I much prefer real peace. But that's not being offered and it's not possible. We must therefore aim for what is achievable. 
And what is achievable is this kind of standoff, which we must try and maintain for as long as possible. The Hudna that we had with the Arab states in 1949 lasted for nearly 20 years. And the Six-Day War was a huge, massive accident uh, that Abdel Nasser uh, got into, I think, very inadvertently. Uh, and it may have lasted for even longer, this Hudna. Uh, it's all about uh, the balance of power. It's all about uh, deterrence. Uh, it's not about ideological transformation. And they don't want to make the ideological transformation. And we are Dalai Islam, of course we are. And uh, all of Eretz Israel is waqf, which means a religious endowment in the eyes of Hamas, which is a complete uh, invention. It's invention. Uh, of course it's invention. But, uh, so the, the chances of a real um, coexistence on, on, based on ideological reciprocity and acceptance is not there. But we have to ask ourselves, what is there? What is attainable? And if the ideal is not attainable, let's try and get something less than the ideal. That's all we can hope for. No, and then the, uh, the to get back from it to the demographic issue and to the whole one-state uh, discussion. Um, it seems to me that the uh, this uh, you talk about things that are invented. One of the ideas in all of this that's invented is that there's this imaginary line of the, the Jordan River, and that the moment the demographics west of the Jordan River becomes one in which there are more Arabs than Jews, this sort of somehow strikes a death blow to the legitimacy of the Jewish state. Um, I mean, if we're talking about invented ideas, that seems to me to be a big one. I mean, the legitimacy of the Jewish state, where was it written that, that it requires a Jewish majority west of the Jordan River? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there could be 10 million uh, Arabs living in the Gaza Strip, and that doesn't somehow magically transform Israel into an illegitimate state that has to simply acquiesce to a one-state solution. Well, I'm glad you accept that, but, uh, right, but, but, but we do problem, I'd, I'd love to do business with you. Right. The, the problem, the problem with, with this argument about, um, about with the one state is that you, there's, once, you, once, you sort of, uh, once you entertain this idea that Israel loses legitimacy if this demographic shift happens, what does it matter? Uh, whether, if, if, if it is the case um, that Israel loses legitimacy when there's more Arabs than Jews west of the Jordan River, what does it matter what happens? I mean, we're, we're aboard the demographic train. We can't really alter that. that things are just going to happen, and maybe in 50 years or 100 years, those numbers will shift. Um, what does it matter if there's a, a Palestinian state? Um, the people, certainly, who are making this argument uh, are not really making it in good faith. They're making it because they want to destroy the state of Israel, and this is a very good cudgel to, to do so. So what, it, uh, what I don't understand about, about your position is, is what does it really matter what political arrangement is made? I mean, if the fact is that Israel becomes illegitimate when the Arabs are a majority west of the Jordan River, then, you know, why don't we pack our bags today? Well, I, first of all, I would strongly suggest that you pack your bags today. Come, come and join us. <laughs> That's the first I would suggest. That will solve some demographic issues for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I must, I must say, I, I really, now I have to be a little difficult. Uh, I, I find it a little problematic, let's put it this way, for people who live out here to preach to me on demography. There is a certain moral discrepancy here that I can't swallow. Houston was very nice. Thank you for being there for a while. Uh, I deeply appreciate it. However, uh, going back to uh, the issue, there is a big difference 
There is a huge difference between Israel being the sole sovereign power in this region with the Arabs in majority, that if there are two sovereign entities, one in which the Arabs live and they are the majority, and the other in which the Israelis are 85%. Uh, that's how states operate. The fact that uh, there is a border between France and Germany is very relevant. And if there is a border between Palestine and Israel, that will be equally relevant. It doesn't matter how many people live in Egypt. We and they don't occupy the same sovereign entity. There must be another sovereign entity which will be internationally recognized as a sovereign entity. Next door to Israel, where the Palestinians are the huge majority, and not where we run their lives for them in this one sovereign entity, where we are the sovereign people and they are the occupied people. Uh, this uh, reality provides exactly, as you said, the kajal to the one status, who in fact, as you say exactly, they don't want a solution. The one state has wanted to destroy Israel. And I will not collaborate. That is why we have to do what we have to do. These people do not... That the fact that a lady by the name of Virginia Tilly wrote a book called The One State Solution. In the book that I've just written, I do not use the term One State Solution even once. Because it's not a solution. I call it the One State Agenda. This is an agenda to undo Israel. Absolutely. It is to destroy Israel, and she couldn't care less. What happens to the Jewish people when this one state is created? But I see no reason why we should collaborate in the policies we conduct to allow this idea to gain more traction and to allow the two-state reality, which is much preferable to us, uh, to decline in its uh, international acceptability. Okay. And we reluctantly get the Israeli defense forced to withdraw from River Jordan back somewhere where Barack would say there's a border? Can we do that? You know, to accelerate the process that you're talking about. Well, look, first of all, you know, accelerating the process also depends on what the Palestinians do. I mean, Israel's not just going to walk out of the West Bank, walk out of the West Bank. Um, and the fact that the Palestinians have created a, a relatively secure situation is uh, encouraging. The Israelis would much prefer to withdraw from the West Bank in a situation where the Palestinians seem to be offering some kind of uh, security. A problem may arise further down the road, where Israel may feel constrained to withdraw even if the Palestinians don't do that. Uh, Israel has built uh, a defense system called the Iron Dome, which is supposed to protect Israel against rockets. If this is really workable and operational, uh, that may make a withdrawal of Israel from the West Bank easier. We've already built a security fence, which is very effective against the suicide bombers. It has kept them out so far. And if the Iron Dome can keep the rockets out, then Israel is in a relatively uh, reasonable situation. Um, a point may, we may arrive at a point where the pressure, not international, the pressure of uh, the numbers game will uh, coerce Israel to, to exactly for the same reasons that we withdrew from Gaza. Arik Sharon did not withdraw from Gaza for one minute in the belief that the rockets would stop as a result. Arik Sharon withdrew from Gaza to reduce the number of Palestinians under Israeli control by a million and a half. 
not to stop the rocket. So no, 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 sorry. Just before I thank Professor Susser, just a brief announcement. We're going to have to end here because we have to go out of the room. But in the back here, there's going to be a reception for the William Prusov lecture, um, which you're all invited to. There'll be drinks and snacks. So on behalf of Yisa and uh, on, on the occasion of the uh, William Prusov honorary lecture, I want to thank you very much for a wonderful lecture and a thought-provoking uh, presentation. Thank you.